Greetings and welcome to this month's podcast hosted by Pro Beat Soccer. Our usual host, uh, Corey, is unavailable this month, so I have taken on the duties uh, and will be interviewing Frank Zimmerman. Um, this is going to be an interview between two event operators, uh, kind of going through a variety of topics. Uh, these will include uh, the prospects of the Beat Soccer Championship in Oceanside taking place in uh, May as well as the effects of the COVID lockdown on SoCal and Texas and other places that uh, each one of us has events. And we'll go through a discussion of events in the future, um, the Walter Payton historical factor when it comes to sand training and why sand is important as a development tool. Um, other subjects will be different partnerships and things that we're looking at um, involved, involved, you know, that we're involved with and also talking about Capelli Sports coming into the beat soccer realm. Uh, there'll also be a, a great tribute to Gino Rossi for any of those that you know him um, and his impact not only on the Oceanside Beat Soccer Championship but just in general on beat soccer and that international level that we all know and love so much. So without further ado uh, let's uh, bring Frank in and we will uh, run through the gamut of conversation and interesting topics. Uh, welcome to this month's podcast from Paran Beat Soccer. Uh, this month's guest is Frank Zimmerman. He is the director of coaching for the Oceanside Breakers, coach of Mira Costa College, as well as Oceanside High School. Um, some of Frank's background is that he uh, was a Cal South Nike coach of the year. Yay. He's been the San Diego County coach of the year. He has uh, even been the North County Times High School male sports coach of the year, which crosses over all sports. And he is one of the founders of the beach soccer tournament in Oceanside, which has graced the presence of many of the most amazing and best beach soccer players to ever have walked the surface of this earth. Frank, I just want to welcome you to our podcast, and uh, how's, how's it going today? Thanks, Ty. Appreciate you having me. Uh, it's going well. Um, things are what they are down here in San Diego County. Um, I'm just uh, really appreciative to be talking about soccer in general and beach soccer oh. you know, as it comes back. And yeah. I'm really also glad to get to see a image of that beautiful baby girl of yours growing up right in front of us, man. Yeah, yeah. This is this is my co-host Nina Siobhan. <laughs> what she, I am. Look yeah, at that. yeah. She 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 loves the camera. She's not supposed to be on the camera technically, but if I don't have her here, she's going to be scratching and wielding her way up to uh, try and be on it. So. Love it. I'll, de I'll deal with the, the backlash from the, the, uh, the other half later, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, going, going right into the, uh, the crux of this is, you know, I think we're both dealing with the fact that um, California is obviously slowly <laughs> trending in the right direction. But I, I can speak from my experience up here. Um, San Francisco is about to go into uh, the red um or no we are in red we're actually going to be moving into orange in the coming days which is a, a, it's a major move in the right direction but for maybe people that don't know what the situation is out here 
the general consensus of the state, and correct me if I'm wrong, Frank, um, is right now yeah. you can play within yeah. your own county um, in contact, full full contact soccer, um, and any neighboring county that is of the same color as yours. Um, so for us to be moving in the orange is good. Um, we have, you know, I think it's Santa Clara County, San Mateo County, and San Francisco are all going to be orange within days. Um, but then you look at the rest of our state and we're either in red or purple. And I, we were just commenting, I think it was March 13th that uh, San Diego County moved into the red zone. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's been some different interpretations of these things. Um, and the rest of the country is kind of oblivious to this. Um, but Southern California has been considered a region. And some people are very liberally interpreting the entirety of Southern California as a scrimmaging region, a plain yeah. region. So I think what you said is probably the more accurate outline of the neighboring county piece, but I've heard some interpret this as regionally, either NorCal and Southern Cal. And so there's been... <laughs> activity for months um, that works against the spirit of the health order. And there's been some clubs that for months have been just disobeying the health order. I'm gonna be clear, it's not breaking the law because there's no law, but it is um, uh, clearly a violation of the health order as it was. But a couple weeks ago, as you pointed out, things opened up and uh, People are playing openly now, and there's even some sanctioned leagues that have started up, and uh, referees, these are all keys as we talk about beat soccer eventually today. Referees are being allowed to ref sanctioned games, like real league games, or I haven't really heard of too many tournaments being sanctioned down here yet. But I took my uh, club team, I coach an 04 boys team, to North Carolina for the USYS National League uh, playoffs mm -hmm. last week. And we played St. Louis, um, uh, Missouri, uh, Detroit, Michigan, and a Pennsylvania team. And they were um, amazed to hear that we haven't been playing until two weeks ago. So <laughs> they've been playing for months and months. So yeah. I really think that, that fans of our events in other parts of the country uh, may or may not be aware of how locked down things have really been. You know, um, I, I don't know how you feel about it, but um, I think it may be some time before we see events come back as we once knew them. Yeah, I, I don't think that's uh, a wrong statement by any means. Um, you know, I, I'm going to be interested to see what kind of protocols that they put on us. And for myself, I've Obviously, I, I have, as I was mentioning, I have events coming up in um, in May uh, in Texas. We have one in San Antonio, with, well, actually outside of San Antonio called Seguin, and then another one in Sao Padre Island. And obviously, Texas is a, is a different animal altogether from California in regards to how they've been dealing with it. And obviously, their governor made some decisions recently, which many of their citizens are not really uh, following on and 
they're continuing from a county to county, city to city basis to uh, continue to put some sort of restrictions because of the, uh, the openness that the governor decided that they were ready to jump back into. Um, we don't want to get into the politics, obviously, of all of this, but I mean, the reality is, is that, you know, we're not quite out and, you know, uh, it, it, are the kids going to be playing in masks Are you know, it, what is the scenario? It, it doesn't look like it. I mean, um, as I mentioned, as I, I, well, I've been back into coaching recently because, you know, <laughs> this isn't exactly putting food on the table right now in regards to events. Um, and we were coaching in masks and all the kids wear masks. Um, and, and we only started having that interaction of players being able to skirmish against each other within the last few weeks, um, all the way, um, you know, I guess, um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a wild ride. And also it's really, I, I know from all the coaches out there, it's been a challenging experience, especially when we were in full lockdown, trying to keep players motivated and keep them training, uh, you know, via zoom or whatever video conferencing platform people were using uh, for some, I know that it was actually a positive thing because it created a scenario where kids really concentrated on juggling in a way that they came back where there was actually a production level at younger age groups where they were able to get kids to be able to juggle at much higher numbers at a younger age um, because of the things that they were doing and because it was really the only outlet for, for people to be able to, um, you know, touch a ball or even get exercised because it was in such a harsh lockdown. Now, all yeah. these things, all these things considered, you know, with the, um, with you guys moving in the red and looking at the trend line, it looks like uh, it's continuing to go down. Um, is there enough timing for us to be able to see an Oceanside event, do you think? Um, or is it going to be a scenario, like is it gonna be a scenario where it's last minute if you get an orange and they allow it and everyone's gonna just rush? Or is this gonna be a, something that a few weeks out, if you're not already in orange, um, you know, it's just going to get pushed back uh, to later in the year or I mean, what is the, the general plan right now for like kind of think, like the opening event? I think because you're running events, you have your arms around the reality. Uh, there's a convergence of, of uh, vectors here of, 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 of different factors, I should say. Um, we just opened up two weeks ago. Maybe you're a week ahead of us up there. So we just opened up for games. Until then, you couldn't play outside of your club. And um, Although then, many did. Of course, but you couldn't. <laughs> and then you couldn't play outside of your cohort before that, which mm -hmm. meant your team, basically your team could be a slightly expanded group, but your team could play itself 77. So for us to jump to within a month, like my events May, first week in May annually, uh, the beach soccer championships held here in Oceanside, California at the harbor, uh, you know, we're typically going to be between 225 and 300 teams, depending on the given year and the amount of sand on the beach, um, uh, you know, and when you expand that, 
to an average of four people traveling per player on any given time on the beach, you're looking at 7,500 to 20,000 people on the beach during my event at any given time. Like midday, there's 20,000 people down there. Yeah. And the vendors and just the people at the beach watching games, stumbling into the, um, uh, the beach stadium where the pros are playing or maybe watching their kid down on one of the ends and getting some dipping Dots or popcorn or a burrito or whatever, those things make the engine run that funds bringing in the best players from around the world to play here. And if you can't have people attending an event, it's not an event. So, you know, there's not this magic sponsor that's paying for the pros to come in. That sponsors me and Ty gets you and it's yep. event organizers. And we do it as a marketing expense. And so few people understand mm -hmm. that. Like I know as a youth director and a youth coach, yeah, sure, I'm a college coach and I have a high school team, but as a youth director of a club, I really wanted to expose Mark Kohler and Gino Rossi and I started this event because 3.3 million kids were quitting soccer by age 12 because of burnout and overuse and just not having fun. So we wanted to have an event that was fun. And so the event um, needed to be demonstrated because more people don't play beach enough. So the best way to demonstrate it is to use the pro stadium. And fill stands with 2,000 people and let them watch. Because, you know, PSA stages of development, I learned this when I cleared my national youth license, and I highly recommend it to youth directors. Say that emulation is one of the, the, the most important forms of development for kids within that, that um, eight, nine to 12, eight to 12 year old range. They, they watch and then they actually try to copy and emulate what they see. So having Paolo Gil six touches down the court, flick the ball up and volley it into the back of the net is not gonna happen overnight without some skill development. But to know that it's possible by seeing it or to see the goalkeeper start a counterattack and the ball's popped off of a target forward's chest and then slammed into the back of the net by a, a trailing player, to even understand the tactics, you gotta first see that the techniques are possible and then to do that, you need your 10,000 hours. Well, to be motivated to do that, man, I wanna grow up and play like him. So we make it free. But the only way we make it free to make all that happen is tons of people at the beach. So Tig, that's not happening anytime soon. Tons of no, people at the beach is not happening. Now, no, and that's... Event, as I think you're probably doing. But I, I want to be careful. I think that we might have to run an event. It won't be in May. It'll probably be in June or November. Because on top of it all, event, you need youth teams available. And what we're going to run into here in late June, all the way until November, is every league in America is going to try. So I really think it's going to be June or November. And so because of existing events on your calendar and others like Virginia Beach, I would try to operate later in the month of June. I really don't see that happening, Ty, my honest opinion. I really don't think that's going to happen. I think I'm going to try and wait until leagues are done 
and like early to mid November and do a small version of my event that could be a nice teaser for the national championships if they return. And uh, that could be what happens. So sorry for the long-winded answer, but I hope that that helps. Well, that actually helped because uh, Nina was quite frisky and loud during that. So I was able to go on mute. <laughs> so that was actually a really good, it answered a lot of the questions that I was looking at actually asking. Um, you know, I think we're, we're both in the same situation. You know, the events that I have in other places, obviously, you know, um, are a different scenario. Like we're, um, I think I, we, we talked previously that we're working with the Rush organization in Wisconsin and in talks with other Rush organizations that are interested in using beach soccer as a, uh, a curriculum piece now uh, where they can um, start using sand as a uh, mix accelerant to player development. And you know, we've seen that with Rail Salt Lake uh, has come into an agreement with us in the Southwest. Um, the rush, the rush, obviously, uh, in Wisconsin, as well as a few other places where um, we're in talks right now, even with uh, Huntington Beach as well. But again, that's a California situation where we just, you know, they're not even looking at permits at this point. No. You know, so. Yeah. It, it's well, what a, it, I love about what you just said, Ty, if I may, is that other parts of the country, not just Florida, Texas and the Pacific West Coast, can offer this you know the most famous american athlete to make sand training somewhat desirable was walter payton absolutely yeah walter payton made it famous you remember that sports illustrated article mm -hmm. all of a sudden people were finding sand in deserts not just beaches and in or, lake yeah. or beach beach volleyball courts or i mean beach volleyball courts are being constructed everywhere but I mean, decades ago, Walter Payton found the elixir that is sand training, you know? Yeah. And the really interesting about, and I use Walter Payton in all of my, um, in all of my speeches and, and things about like sand as a, as a tool for player development. But what, what was so interesting about the article and his history is that you know, that era of the running back was very different from now. You know, that was when they were launching themselves over the offensive defensive lines, getting picked off in the air. You know, I can remember images in my head of Walter Payton just getting crushed as he flew, you know, the sweetness flying through the air. And the interesting thing is, is that he never once missed one start his entire professional career. And he actually mentions the sand trainings that he did on the Mississippi, you know, like in the summertime as the reason why and because yeah. it's a it's a way of like injury prevention and it's like not rocket science as as you know i mean look at Bayern munich i mean they just want to treble uh and they've been using sand for about the last five years you know pretty pretty dedicated to it and real madrid barcelona psg chelsea they all have their sand pits for mostly uh in regards to injury prevention and more so the videos that we see on youtube these days are all uh, injury recovery. You know, when I had my knee surgery, I had it done by the San Francisco Giants doctor and um, another doctor that referred me to him. She, uh, with Avanti Fitness, who does all of our stuff at our events in Santa Cruz and San Francisco, <coughs> she told me very early on, as soon as you can walk, start going in the sand. 
and I thought she was crazy. <laughs> and then it was like, why, really? <laughs> and then you find out the science really backs it. Yeah. And there's it's just like two. It's like a most natural form of rehab. Uh, yeah. And in Walter Payton's case, it was a, a way of building. Yes. I mean, if you remember those legs of his were incredible, man. <laughs> and, and, you know, Real Salt Lake came out to Oceanside and used the complex for training camp and daily book sand sessions. Daily. They stayed at a hotel down by the beach here in Oceanside. And they would go train in the morning on the grass, but then they'd spend every evening on the sand. And, you know, it's nice that when you have a body of water near the sand, because then they could go plunge in the 60-degree water, and that was, real, like, perfect, right? Yeah. Uh, and then shower up and go to dinner, and uh, they really enjoyed it. And I got to watch all those sessions, and some of it was just jogging and walking around on the sand. It was very simple activities, but Walter Payton was getting after it, man. I saw one of his workouts. Whew, he was a monster. And so, you know, the thing that I think that we have with sand soccer training, and my club does it, it's a part of our annual calendar. Right? Yeah. Um, is we actually incorporate the ball into everything. And that is just yet another form of skill development. I've heard Brazilians say that American players only access nine core skills. And there's a, about 14 more that Brazilians yeah. talk about, and about half of those are specific to the sand, right? So yep. it's funny, like, I, I, I need to get that data on a sheet somewhere and post it on a website. But um, the sand just offers all these varying ways of challenging you and your technique and your physical preparedness for match fitness. Um, but it's also the best landing area for all the aerial stuff that we see. And yeah. that's kind of makes it pretty cool, you know? Yeah. I'm, Not I'm to actually the way the ball bounces on it too. Yeah. <laughs> the wrong footed keeper. I've been actually uh, utilizing it the last couple of weeks since we've opened our, our men's club, uh, Club Marin that I've been running forever um, has started training, but they, they won't rent us fields. So we're hopping on grass like once a week or turf. Uh, since the whole world is being turfed over. Um, but we've been going in the sand. And the thing that I've, I mentioned to the guys is that, you know, this gives us an advantage. And, um, and the concentration when we're out there is, is fitness, uh, injury prevention, shooting, and, and de dealing with balls in the air. And, you know, one of the things that I was mentioning to them is like, and people don't really kind of realize this, but when you're at half field for a beach soccer game, you're just barely outside. You're like inside the, the circle of the penalty box and you can shoot from almost anywhere on the field. So it, it is a, a shooter's game, you know, for, for the American population, it's, it's perfect because it's three 12 minute periods, natural, natural television breaks for the future. Once uh, this, you know, our game really pops and, you know, you're talking a shot every 30 seconds and an average of nine goals per game. What could what what could be better for a like a millennial audience that has a short term uh, attention span and and uh, and a and a place where all they want to do is see scoring. So it's pretty magical in that way. I really agree. I think if you had the right the right players 
like the final of my event usually, uh, well, last year we had my event. The final included Lazio, which was loaded with Brazilian mercenaries and a Swedish goalkeeper uh, from Italy, playing against an American team that had Nick Pereira, the captain of the U.S. national team on it. And as you'll remember, because you were there, and the year before when NorCal was playing Gold Beach soccer with Nick on it, that those games would be so popular to watch on TV. I have family members that don't like soccer and they love beach soccer. Um, but even one step further with my college team, which is a fairly well-skilled team, we'll do a 30 by 40 court on the grass and we'll do beach soccer training days on the grass. Nice. Where, you know, I condition it where the ball has to start in the goalkeeper's hands and a goal can only be scored out of the air. Perfect. So the next thing you know, you're simulating these different movements and 5v5, they're begging for subs every three or four minutes because they're not fit like that. So it's a it's a really – sand soccer, beach soccer has a really unique place that I think could become um, super popular like the X Games, like other alternative sports, if ever truly exposed to a television audience in the right way. No, I – I fully agree. I mean, which is one of the reasons why you first and, and really me following up, I've been trying to get these games filmed because eventually, you know, with all these OTT platforms starving for content, one of them's going to actually see the, you know, the force through the trees and want to be involved um, in this expansion of the sport. Um, we, we know that it's kind of going that direction. I mean, there's, there's, new, there's new entities that are recognizing beach soccer. Uh, Capelli Sport, for instance, is now moving into the arena of beach soccer in a way that the Nikes and the Adidas is, or really nobody has, has done in the past. And I think that's a testament. They're, they're an up-and-coming, um, really not up-and-coming. I mean, they just kind of stepped onto the stage and really made – heads turn in regards to uh, uh, people in the apparel industry and they recognize beach soccer. They have people within their, uh, let's just call them faculty that uh, recognize a game, have been involved with it in, in a couple different ways. And we'll be seeing them popping out, you know, sooner than later. Um, and, and there's also been, you know, people that saw it really far in the past, like Satanta sports, um, you know, we're looking for content way back when, before they got bought out by Fox sports. So we know that people in the sports industry recognize the, the talent that's needed. Um, the, you know, the, the platform that uh, creates a scenario that's almost like a, how would you say like a circus, not really a circus, but like, you know, acrobatics, you know, it's like yeah. the trap. It's like the trapeze of the, of the circus where, you know, everyone's wowed and, and blown away by the skills and by the nature. And, and I think the greatest thing about the beach soccer community is how, you know, for the most part, how close everyone is and open, um, you know, we have, you know, different situations and, you know, whether they say you can never be a, a prophet in your own land uh, scenarios uh, for both you and I. Um, cause we both struggle with, uh, certain entities or individuals in our, in our realm, but, you know, 
they love the game just as much as we do. But it's just really a situation where if you're looking at it from a global standpoint, everyone is so close, much closer than you can find in the grass game. So, you know, <clears throat> vision, vision is something that those of us that work in, in youth soccer or in grass soccer have some trouble with. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to put myself right there. 14 years ago, I hired Mark Kohler and Gino Rossi to work in my club. They both had young daughters who are both now both college graduates, right? And I challenged them both to take that national youth license, which talks about the stages of development for kids. And that led to Mark, who's a consultant, doing a study as part of his MBA program back then that led us to see the real problem with burnout and a lack of enjoyment for kids. And Gino was from Peru and, you know, went to school on the East Coast, knew about, you know, Virginia Beach. And we kind of made this decision to go survey that very large event back there and offer sand soccer as maybe a a way to start something that'd be really fun. And I would not have run it the way that it's now being run. I would have run a regular soccer event like I run grass Mm -hmm. events. I would have just, it wouldn't have been a festival and there's no way the tens of thousands of dollars that are poured into bringing the pros to Oceanside every year. There's no way I would have made that decision. Yeah. I got to give it. And even Mark would tell you that really Gino is the one that pushed that and was really the champion of that. And um, Mark and I, um, we tried to make prudent business decisions, me making soccer decisions, Mark making business decisions and Gino kept pushing the pro thing. And then we saw it. And we were hooked. Yeah. I remember once there was this goal scored, probably year three or four. And I was, I, I, I MC the event. I have a background as a DJ. And so I MC the event. And I, I'm constantly getting corrected on pronunciation of the names when I didn't know anyone. Gino would be right there in my ear, helping me understand, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I'm learning on the go. And there was this goal scored. And I looked to Mark. Right. Gino's on my left side. And I look to my right. And there's Mark. And we both had tears in our eyes. It was like such a beautiful goal. We were hooked, man. You know, so I'm not saying we would like we don't love it. I love it. But the vision, because it doesn't make money, but the vision of what it is, I got to give Gino Rossi a lot of credit for that, for really blowing it up in Southern California. And other people will say whatever they want. But the credit really needs to be given to Gino for what he did. And then, of course, Mark and I, the three of us really came around and made the event what it is, to be fair to all three of us. But that pro part, we fought Gino on a lot of those decisions. I mean, (laughs) there was one year when he was picking people up himself, right? Mm -hmm. You've done that for me. Yeah. 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 Um, But the commitment to just knowing what, place it has in our market there's not a lot of people that see that vision and when we can find a way to properly fund it and tv rights could be the way it could it's the kind of thing that i think beach soccer is known and i want you to answer this question the myth you shouldn't pay to watch beach soccer it's almost like this this Mm -hmm. feeling like 
It should be free. It should be open the way medical insurance is in Europe. It should be available to everybody. And, <laughs> and I really think that resonates with me, but it costs a lot of money. Yeah. Tens of thousands of dollars to put on a good event. And, and, um, uh, and it's 100% loss until you find a way to fund it. So, you know, those are the things that people aren't talking about and don't understand. They just see at Oceanside any given year, 75 FIFA World Cup players in Oceanside, and they think it just happens. But without the ability to have a crowd there to really fund it, buying snow cones and ice cream and burgers and all the things that they do, right? And then going out and spending money at dinner and hotels to make it worth the city of Oceanside dedicating one of its most valuable resources, the Harbor Beach, to this event. I don't think people understand how much goes into putting on an event like that, Ty. And that if you take away the fans, it's just not, it's just not the same kind of thing. Well, it's not the same kind of thing. And in your case, I mean, you, it's clearly understood that you can't fund the, the pro bracket in that way. And I, I think a lot of people take it for, for granted. Um, you know, speaking from my standpoint, you know, looking at what we did with nationals in San Diego in 2019, um, you know, it was, it was really interesting to see um, what, what people expect and, and then how they react to what, what you give them. Um, you know, and I'm not going to dive too far down into, in, into the, the brambles you might say in regards to it, but, you know, for, for us and our organization in trying to um, really push it, I mean, it was, it was a financial, obviously it was a clear financial loss looking at it from a standpoint of, you know, this is us starting this out and we're going to take a hit. But then in 2020, it's going to pay off because we have this we had this great national championship where many of the games were able to be live streamed and it'll be worth the financial hit. Yeah. <laughs> Dirt COVID. So, so COVID yeah, so 2020 was an interesting year and it was it, it was a it was one of those pills that was a little bit hard to swallow. Um and, you know, we're all looking forward to getting back to it. Um, we just don't know, you know, as you as you can state, it's like it's really impossible to know, like, when we're going to be able to return to Well, I, I think like there's this. some norms that we can look at. Like, for instance, we haven't been playing games in Southern California, but I've gone to Arizona once for an event. And they're, they've become pretty good at it, right? They, there's circles they, with social distance. And then they had to shut down because they had some problems. But then a California group went out and ran an event in Arizona and they did not have those protocols as part of their arsenal and they got shut down during the event, right? So how do you apply some of these protocols to the beach? How do you keep on a 30 by 40 court, Ty, how do you keep fans socially distant? It helps that we're three feet, not six feet, but these are the event organizers like yourself and myself need to really answer those questions. How are we going to run an event, have people attend it, right? Uh, there's, there's companies offering self-screening the way that you're seeing workplaces and maybe even, you know, 
you know, we like, take everybody's temperature as they come around the corner in the harbor. Well, I mean, I was just going <laughs> to grab my thermometer. I'm doing that at my club. I'm doing it at the high school. At the college, we're still in social distant channels. The colleges are a little behind everyone because they're playing it really safe. But there's an app that event organizers can use where everyone registered to attend is on this app and they get up in the morning and they self-screen and then you show up and you show yourself screening results. You do a little scan and then you're good, right? You've already done it. <clears throat> but I don't want to be the first one to run that. No. <laughs> I want to let I want to let that get sorted out, right? Yeah. yeah. Because I want to benefit from someone else suffering that pain. And that's just me being honest. I, I mean, uh, I think I think things are going to be a little different for a while, but eventually somebody's going to take that risk and um, we're going to learn what we need to learn from those trials and errors. And uh, we're going to be back out there with the beach soccer championships and, you know, your pro-am events and it's, it's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the, the biggest thing. It's like, we, we kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel right now with, you know, the vaccinations going out pretty, pretty steadily at this point. Um, you know, so far, I mean, again, not to get into politics uh, at all here really, but um, you know, all goals have been getting met by this current administration in regards to vaccinations and, and exceeding them. So um, I don't know, just from a standpoint, I feel it's like a brush, sort of a breath of fresh air where we can now start even contemplating herd immunity. Um, you know, it, it's, we can only hope that things move as fast as they're moving now. Um, like I, I've, I don't know about yourself. I, I was able to get vaccinated um, earlier than ever expected um, because of the coaching and because uh well, Biden went on 60 Minutes and said all teachers were going to be vaccinated in his first 100 days. And suddenly California went, oh, January 25th is when teachers start? No, they're starting tomorrow because we're not going to be able to meet that. So we ended up, and that was in February 14th it was. his. I guess he was on 60 Minutes on February 12th. And February 14th, we found out that there was a vaccination available for restaurant workers and teachers and, and you know, people that deal with kids. And I was lucky enough to, to get there. I got my second one last week. Um, I, so it's just, have, have you been able to get the chance down there yet? Yeah, I did. Um, Miracosta College where I coached was able to get me in February and then March uh, 9th, I believe it was, I got my second. So you're and about a I week ahead of me. North Carolina, and so I had to get tested. The college quarantined me for a week because I went out of state. But I went tested, tested negative, and I haven't been sick in months. Probably the mask and everyone being careful. Uh, I teach at a high school in, in addition to all that coaching. And I get sick every year, but I haven't been around kids like normal. And, you know, it's, it's funny, man. Um, I'm, I'm actually a believer in vaccinations, man. I never had a flu vaccination um, before this year, but I had a leg surgery. You know, old soccer players, we end up having leg surgery. And so uh, they made me do the flu vaccine. I didn't catch the flu for the first time in years. So all of a sudden, Ty, I believe herd immunity is possible. I think it's probably more like June. So yeah. Just more, more evidence that then that's going to take a while for events to become okay. 
Now I do plan on running my class in August. But by then, I'm hoping to have a better handle on how to manage that many people. Our games at the high school, we went from a two-person per player ratio to a four-person. Four people can attend under player number one, and then four people can attend under player number two. Well, all of a sudden, that would be a great event. If we had a four-to-one player to attend, <laughs> that could work, Ty. You know? Absolutely. Um, I mean, because that's I think that's probably like the normal amounts of people that we have now. You know, so that would right. be it'd be fantastic. But uh, I mean, you're talking about 400 people in a stadium designed for 8,000 at the high school. So if I have 2,000 people in a stadium designed for 2,000 at the beach, that's not going to work. No. So it would have to be 200 people in a stadium for 2,000, which that ain't going to work. Those are all interesting statistics that we're probably going to be talking about offline because, I mean, that's the reality of what we're now facing as as organizers. It's it's uh, still an uphill battle. I mean, we already canceled our first event of the year. Uh, it was supposed to be the Saturday before Easter. It's our annual spring challenge. Um, I've got all sorts of people that have been contacting me. I'm just like, <laughs> um we well no <laughs> we can't do it <laughs> and they're like can you at least do like the adults and i'm like well we might be able to but if, you know you and i both know it's like at the end of the day the adults cost us money and um you know and and that's the area where there's the most that's taken for granted and although we want to be able to have those opportunities for for them to play because they're the example for the for the youth um you can't survive or create an event based solely on on that so unless we get to the point as you're talking about that we can find ott platform that looking for content and you know and we can produce it we know that we have the capacity of producing you know good quality content for for television um but you know Maybe that time will come sooner than later. Maybe this podcast will be seen by somebody that will be like, hey, those guys have content that we want. You know, just go look up Beach Soccer World Cup highlights or best goals and, you know, people will start to see what we're talking about. It's amazing because people that don't know Beach Soccer, when you say go look up the best goals of the World Cup, they go, there's a World Cup. And then they go look at it and they come back and they're like, wow. Yeah. That's really incredible. Yeah, yeah. You got to give Beach Soccer Worldwide some credit. Their high-level events are pretty fantastic, right? And and at the end of the day, um, the NorCal Go Beach Soccer Lazio games, you could say the same about those in Oceanside. You could say, I mean, a, a best goals of just those three games with those three teams. It's a pretty special, pretty special goals and some pretty intense play and some nice games. So it's just about bringing good players in one place. What's so amazing is they all get along in between the games and they're, they're great to the kids and uh, they're very approachable. And then they're very competitive on the court and then they leave it on the court and they're all hugging and it's all good and 
jumping in the ocean together after the game. And, you know, there's a bunch of good things that can be demonstrated by high-level beach players. But, you know, um, I would like to see an event be possible with all those youth players and their families attending. And once we can make that happen, I think we can start to talk about returning to bringing the big boys back. And yeah. ladies, by the way, because the ladies game in America has never been as good as it is right now. So ever better. Yep. So, um, and we got a very good coach in place, you know, uh, who's a friend to our events. And uh, at the Natural Nationals, it was nice to get to spend a game behind the mic with him. And I still have those pictures. I should send them to you that I took some selfies, man, with Francis. And, um, oh, you should have. I was actually looking for a photo of you two guys recently for one yeah, of our I, I, newsletters. I'll send, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll send it to you right now. Oh, fantastic. I know, our, I know our time's running short. I got about a minute here. So is there anything else you want me to address before we we go? Uh, no, I think I think we're good. I, you know, at the end of the day, I think you know, we wanted to kind of just kind of shoot the cud here, you know, because you and I can have this conversation, you know, every day of the week, practically, you know, we, we're, we're, we're definitely on the same page. I mean, as, you know, as people may or may not know, when I approached you about the USB Soccer National Championship, you know, I wasn't even asking for your involvement and you were like, I want in, you know, I mean, I appreciate you, Frank, from the standpoint of, you know, whereas you say that, you know, we lack vision in our industry um, of the greater scope of things where Gino brought that in um, so graciously and, and has helped all of us in regards to that for letting us all see it. You actually have great vision as well um, in regards to seeing the big picture and your selflessness is something that is really appreciated. Um, I, I like to confess that I'm in that same realm you know, because I think the only way to change for, you know, people like ourselves who are supposed to be competing against each other to actually look beyond that as the beach soccer community does, you know, they, they leave it on the field after an intense game. But the thing about the beach soccer community is everybody kind of comes together, the ones that understand the sport and understands the culture. And you've showed that to me more than, almost anybody. And I appreciate that about you. And it's one of the reasons why I wanted to make sure that we had this opportunity. Um, and I know that you're really going to be pushing for the girls in the future. You've gotten a little stick in the past with, from some of the ladies and you've listened. And, and that's, again, that openness to, to listening to everyone and, and, at this, and not being in a mode of where it's like, it's my way or the highway. And it's something that's really great about who you are and speaks to um, to so many facets of, of what really makes you you. And I, I really appreciate you coming on today. As you can tell, I think our time is coming to an end from the, uh, the cries from peanut gallery. <laughs> and I, Frank, I just want to, just again, I want to, I want to thank you. Nina, Nina here wants to say goodbye. As long as she's here, she doesn't cry. And, um, and you know, we'll be having a lot more conversations like this, but to our audience out there, I want to thank you guys for uh, taking the time to listen to Frank and I talk about, 
you know what it what beach soccer means to us and and and, and nina's obviously blowing kisses goodbye and uh we look forward to uh our next podcast that we'll be able to bring you guys and until then um peace out and that will conclude this month's podcast from Forum Beat Soccer. I really want to thank Frank Zimmerman for taking the time to be able to go through so many important topics with us this month. And we'll look forward next month when we'll be able to bring in a very special guest from Australia that will be talking about um, shooting and other aspects um, of player development. Um, he has worked with several U.S. women's national team players and has a pivotal has had a pivotal role in. Um, their ability to win the World Cup. So we'll see what his thoughts are on beach soccer and what impacts he believes that it can have on development and uh, progressing as a player. Until next month, thank you so much. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you.